0: We're going to open up to the book of James, chapter 1, if you would. James, chapter 1. A little bit of Bible trivia for you this morning. A little bit of recall I'm expecting of you. James had a big brother. What's his name? Jesus. It's like the safe answer anytime there's Bible trivia, right? Just guess Jesus. You'll probably get it right. Okay. Um, James and his brother Jesus had a mom and dad. What are their names? Joseph and Mary, Joseph being the adoptive father of Jesus, um, the biological father of James. You're on a roll. Here we go. Next question. Did this family grow up, were the boys raised rich or poor? Poor. That's exactly right. Every indication we have tells us that this family was in poverty. They grew up in a little town called Nazareth Uh, the town was rural it was poor it was in the middle of nowhere somebody in the bible if you'll remember even asked the question what good could come out of Nazareth that's how poor a reputation Nazareth had people don't say that about Stratford they may say that about Edgar but certainly not (laughs) Stratford no I'm teasing I'm kidding (laughs) kidding Relax, everybody. Relax. That was a joke. Okay. All right. So uh, Joseph, in addition, did what for a living? He was a carpenter. Some say that word actually means someone who works with stone. I'm not sure that we're 100% confident, but small town, big family. So either way, the likelihood is this didn't provide the income that one might desire. There were other competitive carpenters, of course, in the area of vying for business. And then we see in Luke, I believe it's chapter 2 at the end, Uh, Jesus makes a pilgrimage with his family to the temple. And instead of bringing something valuable out of their affluence and wealth, like a cow or a few sheep, they bring two pigeons. And that tells us that they could only afford two pigeons, birds smaller, less expensive. And so we do believe them to be a poor family. Here's your next question, a little tougher. Should Christians then be rich or poor? It's an interesting question. I think it's a bad question, actually. A better question uh, that I think we would all agree on is this. Should Christians be godly or ungodly? Godly. Would you agree with that? Christians ought to be godly. Um, If you ask the wrong question, you'll go down the wrong road, won't you? If we ask the right questions, we'll get to the right answers. Um, the question is a Christian to be rich or poor uh, has a lot of economic undertones. It has a lot of political undertones. Um, so a better question again, uh, are we to be godly or ungodly? Um, I hope you're in agreement that, that that answer is quite clear. Christians by the grace of God ought to be godly people. It doesn't matter, I will assert this morning, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. The question is, how are you living your life, and especially and in particular in regards to your wealth? Because in today's text, you'll meet two kinds of people. You'll meet the rich, and you'll meet the poor. Starting in verse 9, they'll appear repeatedly in our study of James. You'll see this idea come up a number of times as we continue to study. And the people we will see, I think, can generally be placed into one of four categories. Okay, one of four categories. First, the godly poor. Can anybody think of somebody in the Bible that was both godly and poor? We just studied one on Good Friday. Anybody remember? Excuse me. I'm thinking of a different example. Uh, That's the godly and rich. The godly and poor. We just mentioned somebody? Naomi. Naomi. We just mentioned uh, Jesus and his family, of course. Anybody remember the story of the widow who gave out of her poverty? She gave pennies. Okay, that's likely the most commonly uh, recognizable story. Um, Exceedingly generous gift, and the Bible applauds her for that. So godliness as it pertains to wealth involves, one, how do you get it? Would you agree with that? How do you get your money? You can be both godly or godly ungodly and how you get your money yes Um, also um, how you invest it yes Do you remember the story about the talents one of them sat on his money and didn't make it work for him the other had his money work for him and Jesus commended the individual who uh, invested Um, another one uh, how does godliness apply it applies to the degree that we give it away would you say yes What about to the degree that we save it? Savings is a principle in the book of Proverbs. And then also a principle is that of spending our money. Would you agree that we can consider things like godliness and ungodliness in the way that we spend? Yes? So category number two, the godly rich. This is the one that I had in... Uh, Can you think of anyone in the Bible that's godly and affluent? Godly and affluent. You remember Good Friday, Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy man, took himself, literally, physically, Jesus' body down from the cross and gifted him a very expensive tomb hewn out of rock. Generous or no? Very generous. What about uh, Joseph? Joseph is godly. He's given great influence over Potiphar's house. Um, Daniel has influence in Babylon, a very prominent position. Nehemiah raises a ton of money. You talk about a bold initiative. This guy raised a boatload and built a wall, repaired it around the city of Jerusalem and enlisted people to step up with their trades and organized the reconstruction of the wall. Pretty amazing when you ask uh, Architects and builders and and consider what they were able to accomplish in a short amount of time. Nehemiah certainly godly uh, and rich. Abraham was loaded. Camels land out the wazoo. Godly and wealthy. Third category those who are ungodly and poor. Can you think of somebody in the Bible that's ungodly and poor? The book of Proverbs talks to us in general or talks to people in general about the dangers of being ungodly and poor. Proverbs mentions the sluggard, the sluggard who doesn't get up and go to work. The book's not talking about somebody who is incapable of working, It's not talking about someone with a disability. It's talking about someone who's simply lazy and unwilling to earn an income. Proverbs talks about gamblers who run to the casino and squander their income. Proverbs talks about get rich quick schemes and says they're basically futile, That wealth is built over a period of what? Of time. That's the principle that Proverbs teaches. And the Bible also warns against bad business deals. There's a lot of language about dishonest scales. In other words, if we're to be men and women of God, we need to do so our business ethically. Amen? Honestly. Fairly. So in many cases, this is the picture I'm trying to paint godliness does not relate to poverty they're not one and the same there there's no corollary the spectrums of ungodly to godly and poor to rich operate completely independent of each other it's not that one goes up and the other goes up and one comes down and the other comes down or vice versa that they're indirectly correlated one goes up and the other comes down the other goes up and this one comes down they're independent okay fourth category is the ungodly rich we're very familiar with this type In some ways, we loathe this type of individual. Robin Hood became a favorite story of our nation because people don't like the ungodly and rich. Who are the examples in the Bible? Well, Pharaoh was ungodly and rich. Nebuchadnezzar, ungodly and rich. Xerxes, we studied in the book of Esther, ungodly and rich. Maybe the most memorable example is the young ruler who comes up to Jesus and asks if he can inherit eternal life. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus says, you cannot love both God and what? Now notice what Jesus did not say. You cannot have both God and money. Jesus did not say that. He said, you cannot love both God and money. Money. He's saying, if you love your stuff more than you love your Savior, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. And you know what happened? The young ruler turned away and he walked away from Jesus sad. He was unwilling to lay down his stuff to receive the Savior. Why would a pastor give you these categories? What's my next question? What category do you fall in? The godly and righteous. The godly and unrighteous. The ungodly. Wait, I'm not saying this right. The godly and rich. The ungodly and rich. The godly and poor. And the ungodly and Poor. Which of those are you? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out loud. Just identify in your mind. Here's the very last question for you. And it's a repeated question. And you're going to say, Pastor, you've already asked that, but now I'm going to give you a little bit of a of a of a variable in terms of an answer. Um, was Jesus Christ rich or poor? Second Corinthians eight, nine. The Apostle Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that beautiful? Notice the play on words. Paul says, By his poverty, literal or figurative literal, literally poor in this life, you might become figuratively rich in eternity. Isn't that beautiful? So the big idea is that what matters most is not whether you're poor or you're rich, but whether you're godly or ungodly. In eternity past, Jesus is ruling, we just read it, and reigning from heaven, and he's rich in that space. Lavishly rich. Heaven's going to have, we're told, roads paved in what? That's enough to make even rappers jealous, right? I mean, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be unbelievable. And then Jesus, who was rich, voluntarily laid down his... Riches and moved to earth to become poor. He could not pay taxes. Do you remember? His disciples said, Jesus, we don't have enough to pay taxes. And he said, Go fishing, and in a fish's mouth that you will catch, you will find a coin, and you can use that to pay Caesar. And the disciples went and fished, caught a fish, in its mouth was a coin. They used that to pay their taxes. Otherwise, he couldn't have afforded to pay their taxes. What else? Well, he had nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. And he couldn't afford a tomb. So he goes from glory to humility. But in both cases, he was what? He was godly. In both cases. And so if you are poor, and I know this isn't, this isn't uh, we, we can't just cleanly split this into two categories. I mean, obviously, there is a spectrum. And and if we're completely honest, relatively speaking, we are all rich as it pertains to the rest of the globe. You know this, right? All of us. Every single one of us is wealthier than people all the way around the world. So, But let me ask you, Um, or let me say this if you are poor again relative term but let's say in comparison to people in the United States our hope is that you're poor like Jesus and if you are rich our hope is that you're rich like Jesus this is what James Jesus brother has to say the godly poor the godly poor let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation we learn a lot there from just a few words first he's writing to christians how do we know this he's calling them what brothers which is a word uh, he's meaning people of like mind people that share the faith Um, And allow me to reassure you, uh, gals, that James is not being sexist. He's not being discriminatory. Brothers were in this culture, the one with the legal position to uh, represent the family, to receive the inheritance for distribution. So by calling all Christians brothers, James was actually elevating the status of women beyond culture to be that uh, in equality with men. And so he's saying the culture may think of you less than who you are, but you're equal in the sight of God. And that way I don't need to distinguish between brothers and sisters. Woo. You're all, you're all brothers. You're all brothers. You're all in the same playing field to the, to the father, to the king. And he uses an adjective here. He uses the word lowly. It ends in L-Y. Normally that's an adverb, but here it's an adjective. And so these particular Christians James is addressing, he calls lowly, meaning, generally speaking, they are what? Rich or poor? They are poor. They're poor. See, some religions are all about the rich and the powerful. Scientology is getting a major crackdown right now in national news because people are coming out that have been involved with it for for many, many, many years and they've said when I gave hundreds of thousands of dollars then I got to rub shoulders with the elites. But until until then I sat on the back row. Once I started giving money they brought me up to the middle of the room. Then I said on the front row this is this is what um, we've we've seen in the news uh, lately regarding Scientology and many other religions for that matter christianity is it's not the case. you don't have more access to God um, the more you give that does not happen it's It's not like some sporting event where the higher you 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 know participate in your resources, the closer you sit to the action. It just doesn't work that way. So what does it mean to be lowly? Well, lowly has a meaning of being poor. Lowly also has a meaning of being average, a C student, uh, being typical, not having a lot of attention paid to oneself, uh, those that are overlooked. So this is an identity that the early church has. They see themselves as lowly. It's a a bit of a projection that the culture has placed on them because this is what James their pastor is trying to reverse in their minds okay this is the identity that the early church had from the culture at large and and by the way I'd say the trend happens that way today, those of us who follow Jesus, we are picked on, we are thought lowly by those in the upper echelons, are we not? Just this week, a friend of a friend of mine um, called my friend, I didn't call my friend a name, but said, um, oh, that's just such... Creationism is such a foolish line of thought. Don't you know that all of the Ivy League schools have moved to evolution? And she wasn't talking about microevolution where things have subtle adaptations. She's talking about monkey to men. Okay? And 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 my friend says in response, it's it's not science. It's still theory. It's still holy theory. And it, and it is not true, by the way, that all Ivy League professors believe this, right? So, so there's an edge of condescension that many in the world view, many of the church. Does this make sense? There's a cutting edge. We're not quite smart enough. We're not quite gifted enough. We're not quite competent enough. We're the gullible ones and so forth. Here is what happened 2,000 years ago that's still happening today. The early church, and and we do this too, we let our net worth determine our self-worth. How many of you know that our self-worth is in another ballpark on another end of town from our network, net worth? Those two things are completely unrelated. There's no correlation there. In other words, you're not more valuable because you make more. Amen? You're not less valuable because you have less. Amen? That's the heart of God. It may not be true economically. It may not be true societally. Certainly we feel it's not true emotionally because we grapple with these insecurities. But somebody here needs to know this morning that there is a difference in what you have and who God says you are. You're priceless. You're worth it. You matter to Jesus. He loves you. And so here's what James does next. This is the kind of thing he's trying to communicate. This is so good. He tells the lowly person, the lowly person to boast. He says, this is how you ought to be uh, parading yourself around. Yes, I'm so average. I am typical. Typical. I'm a D student. I just got fired. I was engaged last week, but not this week. I mean, isn't it odd what James is telling them to do? But this is what he's saying. How many of you noticed there's like no parade ever for the losing team, right? It's just the winning team that gets to pray. Like, why is he saying this? Why is he telling us to rejoice in our lowliness? Well, it's a paradox. A paradox, according to G.K. Chesterton, this British writer, is a truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. So what Chesterton believes is that James is saying this. Church, here's something to be excited about. You win in the end. You win in the end. Capture this, grasp it, accept the truth. You win in the end. Some may experience wealth in this temporal life, but you know what? They cannot buy eternity even with the wealth that they've accumulated. One day you will receive an abundant inheritance by Jesus Christ. And you, if you're saved, will be rich not for 60 years, 80 years, 104 years, but for an eternity. We will be rich without a need. In heaven with Jesus. James says, boast in that. Stay sighted on the future, not on the present. You may not be exalted. Now, hang in there. Hang in there. Because you will be exalted forever. In the meantime, keep choosing godliness. In spite of your poverty. You will not regret it. Church, you need to understand that this is how God sees us his kids as being abundant in the riches of his salvation as having been forgiven not where you are but where you'll be when he's done with you he's given you an identity that's irrespective of how much cash you have in the bank So boast in what God has done. Boast in your salvation. Boast in the fact that your sins are forgiven. Boast in you being right before God based on the finished work of Jesus. Boast in your own righteousness, which is a gift and nothing that you could have earned. Do you see what's happening in the text today? God the Father, through Pastor James is telling his kids, you're sad, you're bummed out, you're discouraged, you're depressed. You feel like you've been rejected. You feel like... You've been dejected, and you've got all of this tension going on in your head, and the tension is that you're poor and godly, and you're looking at all the people who are rich and ungodly, and you're asking, how can I make any sense of this? I understand ungodly and poor. I understand godly and rich, but it's the other two that I just can't figure out. I love the Lord, but I'm a nobody. I got nothing. And all the people who got something are dishonoring God. How does this make sense? How is this fair? James says, hold on, child of God. It's going to get so much better. See yourself now as the Father sees you. Last night, um, we gifted Levi and Miles for uh, Easter a book by Shel Silverstein, who's a an English or British poet that writes these witty, um, he, I think he has long passed, but he writes these witty, wrote these witty poems that are put into a series of books. You may have heard of A Light in the Attic or The Giving Tree. Um, and we got him a light in the attic, I think, there's another popular one that I'm forgetting the name of, for Easter, and Levi's reading it, and and the poem that he's on is called Nobody. This was last night when I'm going to tuck him in. He's reading a poem called Nobody, and he says, Dad, can I read this to you? And I listen, and what what the poem says is that nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, nobody uh, believes in me, and so forth and so on. And in the Shel Silverstein way, you get to the last line of a poem, and all of a sudden, the whole poem makes sense. And and nobody was capitalized. So nobody was his friend's name, you see. And so the poem was saying, nobody cares about me. The guy's name, his friend was nobody. Nobody loves me. And I'm so grateful I have a friend named nobody, okay? But Levi doesn't get that. And I try to talk him into what the author was trying to communicate. And he says, no, Dad, but I I am a nobody. And he's our most emotional kid, and he wrestles with this stuff more than the others. Um, And and I was able to talk... Through it with him, we had the most wonderful time together, about 25 minutes. And he said at the end of it, Dad, I love you. And he just smiled so big, and you could tell he was back on top, you know, and everything was all good in his world. But just imagine one of your kids running home from school one day, dejected and discouraged, sunken countenance, and let's say they were bullied. And, And what James is doing here with the church is he's saying, do the same thing you would do with your child. That's what God the Father does with you. Well, what did they say, honey? Well, they said, I'm ugly. No, you're not. You're beautiful, sweetheart. Well, but they said, I'm stupid, daddy. No, you're not. You're great. But daddy, they said, I'm not valuable. No, honey, you're priceless. Hear it from dad. Oh, You know, they're saying that they don't want to be with. That's okay, honey. They don't have to be with you. Your mom and I, we love you. Like James is saying, this is what the father is like. He's saying great moms and dads will take off their spectacles that other kids have put on their own kids. You're this, that, and the other and they'll take those off and they'll take the spectacles of mom and dad and they'll put them on their kid and they'll say no this is how we see you honey this is what you're really like james is saying church don't forget this is what you're really like you're saved you have a regenerate heart you're going to be in heaven with jesus forever hold on stay heavenly minded James one ten through eleven, then he moves on to the ungodly rich. He was on the godly poor. Now he addresses the ungodly riches. He's the only other one in this text today that we're going to talk about. And he says, Let the rich boast in his what? In his humiliation. You know what God, God's plan A for us is? Humility. His plan B is humiliation. And if we don't take his plan A, a lot of the times we end up with his plan B. If you've exalted yourself, God will not just humble you, he'll humiliate you because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away the one that's exalted himself. The sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the middle of his pursuits. So this too is an identity issue. Just like the poor need to remember that they're children of the king, the rich need to remember not to treasure their treasure in order to be seen in a certain light. Because that is the temptation of those who are rich. Again, relative terms. Um, This has rarely been more clear than recently when two Hollywood actresses and a number of others were caught buying their kids acceptance into Ivy League schools. What were they doing? They were trying to use their riches to buy an identity for the kids, for themselves. See, we think if we'll just pay for that, it'll fix anything. Any down and out day we're having, I did that last summer. I brought an ice cream cone three days a week. I was down and out. I wanted to change my identity. So I bought an ice cream cone. Does that fix things? No. You have the same identity. You're 15 pounds heavier. (laughs) Tastes great. We treasure our treasure because we think it can provide us a certain kind of identity. We think we can go from lowly to exalted, from nobody to somebody, from unpopular to popular, from unattractive to beautiful, from somebody who knows somebody to somebody who knows everybody. And so we pay for it in a bunch of different ways. And at the center of it is an issue of glory. We want to be glorified. We want to be glorified. says the guy up front holding the microphone telling you all what to do, right? Everybody struggles with this. Sociologists have given it a name. It's called conspicuous consumption. This is where we buy things, not because of their functionality, but because of the identity that we think it will give us. So we do this with clothing, name brands. We do this with technology. We want to have the latest, greatest smartphone. We do this with our vehicles, certain rides. Our family has a minivan. Let me tell you, whoever marketed the minivan ought not to have used mini in front of van, right? Because what guy feels proud driving a minivan? You feel like a mini man (laughs) in a (laughs) minivan, The rich in his humiliation will pass like a flower. You know, those who drive three quarter ton trucks now, and sports cars now, and Harley Davidsons now, do you know what they're going to drive in heaven? Mini vans. True story. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) No, I've picked on you. Let me pick on me. Okay? I wear boots. I wear boots. Do you know why I wear boots? I'm mad as a hornet that I'm five foot ten and a half inches tall. I wish I was six foot two. I so badly want to be tall, but I'm not, and the half inch matters to me, frankly. (laughs) I mean, I'm grateful for that half inch. You know why I wear my shirt untucked? It's because I've got a belly. And it's because if i tuck my shirt in all kinds of stuff happens that i'm not pleased with right see we buy things to project a certain image we do that here's the big idea there are so many things and ways that all of us are made to feel lowly in All of us struggle with, how can I buy myself out of my lowliness? Then I'd be the one in the center. Then I'd be cool. Then I'd be popular. Then I'd be well-received. James tells us, Do you know how certain people are like a flower? They're beautiful, they're straight, they're tall, they're vibrant, they're alive. Some people are like that. Do you know how some people are like that? They're amazing to look at in this life. But one day, the sun will rise, its heat will scorch that flower, and at the end of time, when the wind is blowing, it will be scorched and torched, and the flower will be gone. So be careful Who you emulate and how hard you strive to keep up with the Joneses. James is trying to tell us to live with the end in mind. Um, I hate to tell you this, but you and I are cartons in the fridge. Do you know that? On all of us is a what? An expiration date. And we're going to expire. We're going to die. We're going to come to an end. We're going to stand before God. And so much of what we've done and so much of what we've accumulated in this life is going to burn. And James is saying, I hope, I trust, I pray that you yourself don't burn. That's the big priority. He's inferring and referring to the final judgment, to hell. And so James is, he's begging us, he's teaching us, he's training us this morning. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it's insignificant and unrelated. What matters is if you are or are not godly. That's what matters. You want to be godly? You want to be godly? Amen. Father, I just pray you to help us to be godly. Holy Spirit, teach us. Rebuke us. Train us. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.